What up, though? Welcome to Throwing Stones. Alongside Ryan Griffin, I'm Matt Basson. March Madness, definitely upon us. First round of games, been going all day, and we're going to get to all that. But before we do, got to remind you to like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, full episodes on YouTube. Ryan, this has been underway. (laughs) It's been a crazy day already. The Michigan Wolverines, despite... Losing Devontae Jones right before we found it, right after our show ended last time, uh, and AJ and I on straight shoot was able to get the news out there for those that were curious. No Devontae Jones looked like big problems in the first half. It was big problems, a 15-point deficit for the Michigan Wolverines. In the second half, different story. Yeah, I mean, they came out like a bat out of hell in the second half. And even a little bit before the second half, you know, they were down 13, 15, whatever it was. And they went into halftime only down by seven, right? They were able to make a little mm-hmm. bit of a run at the end of the half. And then when they came out in halftime, uh, you know, Hunter Dickinson had, had it going all game. Michigan kept getting to the line. Credit to them. They were knocking down their free throws. Uh, Caleb Houston made some huge threes. Uh, who else? Frankie Collins played out of his mind. At one point, he was like six for seven. Um I don't know exactly what he finished at. But for a freshman, like that's super not easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, absolutely. I'm pretty sure he's a freshman, right? Yeah, um, absolutely a freshman. But, yeah, man, I mean, it was a really impressive um, game plan for Michigan in the second half. And one thing I was really impressed with was uh, even in the first half when, you know, the game wasn't going their way, they didn't really seem like they switched too much up. You know, they were still playing what they are playing on offense. They let, uh, they let Colorado State kind of panic when they started getting close. So now they're jacking up threes, taking kind of dumber shots. And then Michigan was able to just uh, clean up on the boards and then run their offense and eventually come away with, you know, uh, a 12-point win. Yeah, big up to Eli Brooks. I didn't think he could do it. He did do it. 12 points of his 15 in the second half to help lead the charge. Hunter Dickinson, exactly what you and I thought he would do. He was dominant, 21 points on 8 for 10 shooting. And the Wolverines dominated the rebounding battle, which we thought they would. But in that first half, All the threes that Colorado State was jacking up led to a whole bunch of long rebounds, which Colorado State was getting, and a whole bunch of second-chance points opportunities, which helped them build that 15-point lead. But something you said, really important. Michigan got that lead down to single digits before halftime. And we hear coaches, and we hear the guys on TV talking about the coach will be saying, let's get it down to nine. Let's get it down to nine before halftime. And you saw how important that was. Now, it might not have mattered in the long run anyway because Michigan ended up winning by double digits, which is really impressive considering how bad they looked in the first half. But they did a heck of a job defensively. The Rams, David Roddy, not a good game, not hot. 13 points, one for six from deep. And Isaiah Stevens, the man that we were looking for Devontae Jones to lock down, he locked himself down. Three for 11 from the field. Wolverines outscore the Rams 46-27 to in the second half and walk away with a 12-point victory. So. Props to Michigan. Great comeback by the Wolverines. Another team out of the Big Ten had a game today. At least we, I don't know if they knew they had a game because they certainly didn't play like it. Iowa, what? This is a team that put up 100-plus points in the Big Ten tournament in a game and looked unstoppable for a while with how they were shooting. Not the case in the NCAA tournament today. No, Iowa couldn't. Uh, Iowa couldn't like buy a basket Mm-mm. to save their lives. And you no, know, they played a team. It was I. I think in sort of a 
a trendy upset pick, but you know, not certainly not the trendiest, right? And I don't know. I always just they're not impressive at all. It seems like this is something that happens way more than it should for that team and for a program, you know, who's been pretty good even before the Luca Garza years. You know, Iowa Iowa wasn't like uh you know, they weren't like a rollover team uh, by, you know, by any means. Um, but obviously not a good game for them going out in the going out in the first round. And, you know, I uh, hope this doesn't come back to haunt the Big Ten like they did last year when all their teams got eliminated really early, you know, except for Michigan, who made the Elite Eight. Mm-hmm. But right now they're looking at one and one. And I think that uh, I think last year's ghost is starting to starting to uh, you know haunt over the Big Ten again. Uh, it's just shocking to me. Iowa looked so fluid offensively throughout the Big Ten tournament for the most part, and to go out on such a whimper, 21% from deep, they were 6 for 29, only 36% from the field, and outside of Murray and McCaffrey, who combined for 39 points, the rest of the Hawkeyes didn't do much of anything. Meanwhile, the Richmond Spiders did quite a bit. They shot better from two. They shot better from three. They shot better from the free throw line while attempting more free throws than Iowa. And Jacob Gilliard, man, had himself a game. 24 points, eight for 15 shooting, four for seven from deep. Now, look, we can't get away from this game without talking about the officiating. In the final five minutes of this game, there were some questionable to horrendous calls or non-calls. And look, that three-point attempt, by Iowa, where the dude got hacked on the arm and there was no call whatsoever, that's horrible. You can't miss that as an NCAA official. You can't miss that in March Madness. But Iowa, as the better team, better seed, just like we talk about in football when we blame the officials, it is your job to not let it get to that point where the officials can be really involved in the game. Iowa didn't do that. They let Richmond stay with them the entire game. I don't know if there was ever... Did anyone have a double-digit lead? I don't think so. I don't know if there was ever a lead more than five or six from either side. Yeah, I don't know. Richmond might have been up by eight there for uh, f- for a minute, but certainly Iowa wasn't up by eight, nine, ten points. <laughs> no, it not, made a nice little run to start the second half. You know, they blew up pretty good in the second half, and Richmond called a timeout, and they responded after that timeout. And after that, it was a game nonstop the rest of the way in the second half. Iowa's job to play better. They didn't. The refs. Definitely did not do their job, but it is your fault for not doing more in the first 35 minutes of this game to avoid making this a game in the final five minutes. As the better team, which I still believe Iowa is, and they did not play like it today, they didn't get the benefits from the whistle, and in the end, they busted a whole heck of a lot of brackets. I already saw there already was a 1.7% of brackets left in the end, in the ESPN you know, bracket tournament are left to be perfect. So Iowa, you know, a lot of people had Iowa. I didn't have Iowa in the Elite Eight or beyond. I think I had them going to the Sweet 16. I think you were right around there with me, but not past that. So our brackets are not busted. Our Elite Eights are still intact. Our Final Fours are still intact. And (laughs) obviously, our National Championship games are still intact. A lot of games, though, besides those two that happened today. Uh, Memphis over Boise, 64-53. My upset pick, Providence, uh, or San Diego State, sorry, San Diego State, (laughs) South Dakota State over Providence did not happen. Number four, Friars got by them, 66-57. Baylor did what a one is supposed to do. They romped over Norfolk uh, State, 85-49. Tennessee looking like a onesie the way they beat 14 Longwood, 88-56. Gonzaga in the second half, in the second half, looked like a one seed. And that first, it was a 35-3 at halftime. 
I mean, yeah, and even with ten minutes to go, it was a four-point game. I mean, you got to get up for Georgia State. They lost one of their best players coming into the tournament to injury, and they still, despite all the foul troubles of their big men's trying to contain Timmy and Chet, they were able to stay with them for a long time, a lot longer than anybody thought it would be. And they gave him a heck of a game. And I mean, speak of games, geez, Drew Timmy. 32 points, 13 rebounds, Chet, 19, 17, seven blocks, five assists. These big boys can play, and Gonzaga looked like the team we thought they were for pretty much all season with about 10 minutes left to go from a very close game to a 21-point victory. That's impressive. Yeah, I mean, they went on a 21-0 run in in the second half, Um, and they just – That's what you're supposed to do with a one seed. Yeah, it seemed like they could just flip a switch on, but – you know, like, because you can see most of most of the time you're not tuned into the one sixteen game, right? When it tips off, because it's mm-hmm. like, oh, this is going to be a laugher. There's better games going on. Usually, there's the end of the game. So it was. I think it would have had to been the Richmond Iowa game. I'm paying attention to the scores up top. I see Gonzaga, Georgia State. You know, eighteen to eighteen. I'm like, oh, that's a little weird, but good for them. Mm-hmm. Twenty six to twenty six. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's still in there. Still 33 34. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, and then you get to halftime. And like you said, I think Gonzaga is only up by two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the second half, again, just more, more of the same, right? Because you still have your eyes on other games. And then you look and it's 58 to 62. And there's 10 minutes left. And it's like, oh, man, like, did this happen? So I think probably by the time that everybody like started to uh, shift their TVs over to Gonzaga and Georgia State to see if it could actually happen. Mm-hmm. That's when Gonzaga just, you know, blew the doors off them. That, I think on that 20 run. Everyone's yeah. looking over to our game. <laughs> yeah. It's time to play. <laughs> we just got a ratings bump. Uh, but I, I got to tell you, though, most surprising thing of today, the most biggest, the biggest mismatch of today was the 8-9 game. North Carolina yeah. absolutely obliterates, obliterates Marquette. Beats them by 30-plus points. This is an 8-9. They're supposed to be similar. That's what you get with 8-9, 7-10. These are the matches where you think these teams are going to be very close games. And North Carolina just proved that Marquette's not in their class. Not this year, not today, not on that floor. Well, at at least not today, right? Yeah. Because, yeah, a 30-point game is incredible. That's what what one seed should be doing. That's what one seeds do. Maybe two but, seeds do. That's that's not what it does to a nine. And for for any of the eight nine games, like at least me in particular, I usually don't know so much about the two teams, and uh, I'll usually just go by pedigree. This mm-hmm. time I did not do that. I'm pretty sure I picked Marquette to win, and then I looked at you know five minutes into the game, North Carolina is up like eighteen to four, and I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> like it's a, I'll, I'll chalk this one as a it was as a it was right now. eight to seven, Marquette. And then North Carolina went on a 46 to 17 run to end the first half. 46 to 17 to end the first half. And that game is over. And it was over at that point. You could just sit there and match buckets with Marquette the rest of the way. Even if you don't half the time, you were still going to win by 10 points. So North Carolina, it's 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 tourney time, and North Carolina is one of the best teams to ever play in the NCAA yeah. tournament. And and now you're a one seed, and you get a North Carolina team that's filling itself probably more than anybody else in the <laughs> tournament right now. So, you know, ha- ha- have fun with that. Yeah, a little reminiscent of uh, Wichita State as the one seed getting an eight seed Kentucky and being like, oh, no. <laughs> not one you want to see as the one seed, and I'm very happy as an Arizona fan that – it's not North Carolina as our eight seed. <laughs> no, I say, speaking of Kentucky, they're down one right now. Just uh, 
to St. Peter's. Yeah, good good ups to say. Look at these look at these little teams coming up out of nowhere and battling these blue bloods. Gotta love it. This is how is this not the best time? I know you tell you need to tell these boys to to get their stuff together. Because mm-hmm. man, like All you right, would think so, you have a cakewalk in the first round. No. <laughs> so we got a few more games left to tip off tonight, tomorrow, Friday, the rest of the first round. Our yeah. Michigan State Spartans taking on a familiar face in uh, Foster Lawyer <laughs> and his Davidson Wildcats. We talked about this a little, you know, quite a bit on the last show. But you know, just just a quick reminder for everyone that uh, that didn't know that Foster Lawyer played for Michigan State. He did. He might not have done much while he was here, but he did play for the Spartans. <laughs> and uh, you still feeling uh, as confident day before the game that uh, Michigan State's yeah. going to be able to shut him, shut him and the rest um, of that Davidson offense down? Yeah, I mean, I'm feeling more confident because Tom Izzo came out today and said that Tyson Walker is like definitely playing and he's feeling way better, uh, you know, than he was a, a couple days ago when he missed that uh, that game against Purdue or basically mm-hmm. the game against Purdue. You know, he missed, he played three minutes and set right. out the rest of the game. So for Michigan State to, to have Tyson Walker back to, again, already know everything that Foster Lawyer wants to do and can and can't do, uh, I I think it should be a cakewalk for the Spartans and it's probably one of the easier 7-10 games that, you know, I, I would have predicted coming into this tournament. But as we've already seen, when the tournament comes, your predictions mean squadoosh. Right. No, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, you know, coaches who are coaching on Friday, they will use the Thursday games as examples for their better-seeded teams to remind them, hey, and nobody's getting a cakewalk here. You better come out and be ready to fight. I don't care if this school comes out of a little conference. You better be ready to play. Pluses and minuses for the Spartans, you know, I mean, you know, we have one double-digit score as far as averages on the year. It's Gabe Brown at 11.5 points per game. Max Christie right there at 9.5. So he's basically 10 points a game if we round up. But the Spartans don't have that dominant score. They spread the ball around. The team in general wins as a team here. They don't really rely on one guy. Is that a gift or a curse for this game against Davidson? For Davidson, I think it's probably a gift because if you don't have a guy who, you know, who you rely on and then he goes cold and everyone else is standing around like, oh, no, I can't get mine. But for Michigan State, we've seen different guys step up. You know, we've seen Gabe Brown. We've seen Marcus Bingham, uh, Max Christie, Tyson Walker, uh, Hogard, uh, and probably even Julius Marble. I think all of those guys at one point have led, been like the leading scorer in a game. And I think when you're playing against a team like Davidson, I just don't think Davidson's going to have the answer for all of those guys who can do just a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like some crazy amount of depth where the talent's just going to run Davidson off the floor. But I think it's going to be more difficult for Davidson because they're not able to key in on one guy. Right. Uh, like you might be able to with uh, like one of those Carson Edwards Purdue teams or something. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, hey, if we if we stop this guy, like maybe, maybe we got a shot. Um, but for Michigan State, I don't necessarily think that's the case, and I think it'll hurt a team like Davidson more than it would hurt, you know, say Duke in the next round. Right. Now, I, I'd love for tomorrow for Max Christie to be that guy. You know, we've seen glimpses oh, yeah. of it. He's had a couple games where offensively he's just shown, and I'd love to see that happen tomorrow, just kind of like announce himself to the rest of the basketball world that doesn't watch the Big Ten as a freshman, like, I'm here. I'm gonna be here for a couple of years because he's not a one and done. You know, I mean, if he starts flame throwing through the tournament, he might be. Uh, yeah, that's that's but, true. But yeah, as of now, no, he should come back. 
That's a good problem to have, though. If he flames yeah. through the tournament, you know, gets the Spartans back to the Final Four, which they've done as a seven seed, I was there, uh, that would be great. I have no problem having that kind of problem where we lose Max Christie because he just was unbelievable come March and, you know, NBA teams were calling. But I'd love for the young kid to come out and show up. I'd love, obviously, Gabe Brown, who's kind of been our leader, senior forward, to really show up. And you already know what I want from Marcus Bingham. I want him in the paint all day, all night, get down there, get rebounds, get second chance points, get blocks, and just shut down that Davidson offense. I think I said it last time on the show. I think our defense is going to be the difference maker in this game more than our offense. Our Hopefully our offense is there, but our defense should be the reason that Davidson does not win this game. Yeah, I think we can win a we can win a Richmond like game of 67-63 where you're not blown away by what you saw on the offense. Mm -hmm. But I don't uh I don't anticipate anyway Davidson to just be able to do what they want on offense. Um I think them relying on the three-pointer, you know, if you're going to tell me a team's going to need to hit threes to beat you, I'm going to like my chances more often than not. And if they hit them, they win, then you tip your cap to them, but I'd rather be the team on the opposite side of that where you need your shots to fall uh, for you to beat us where, you know, with us, we can play any type of game. We can play a, you know, a, a down and gritty game and still get the win. Right. And, and we're going to need that defense because I mean, look, we, we have a good idea of what they're going to do to foster lawyer because they did it to him in practice all the time. And it's going to be oh, even harder because I'm telling you, that man was wearing a red jersey in practice from Michigan State. It was don't touch the quarterback. That's what they were doing with Foster Lawyer at MSU because they didn't want to hurt the little kid. But 16 and a half points on the year. Hung Jun Lee at six, just over 16. Luka Brakovich right there at 14 and a half. And then Michael Jones at almost 12 points a game. So they have four scorers that score in double digit for them. So it's not going to be just Foster that we have to shut down. But I think our defense really should be the reason that the Spartans win this game more than anything else. Yeah, um, I I agree. I don't anticipate us putting up you know ninety points, and it's a, a ninety to eighty yeah. victory or something. As as long take as the can, under. You know, if I'm if I'm Izzo, I'm showing them MTSU as much as it hurts, <laughs> and saying, "Look, we can't allow this uh, tomorrow. Yeah. We cannot yeah, allow this." You're not uh, doing the other Izzo and taking the sledgehammer to the the video cassette. <laughs> I might do that after <laughs> <laughs> saying this film doesn't matter. This dies today. I might do both of those. I might, if I'm Izzo, I might do both. I might show him the tape and then, you know, just take and the sledgehammer right to the TV. Like, I got I, to make enough money. I can, I can recoup this. I'll, I'll buy him a new television after this. But so a lot of games for tomorrow. Really excited for second round. This is my favorite time of year, obviously. And uh, we'll uh, absolutely on next show be uh, hopefully celebrating and uh, getting ready for the next round for Michigan State. Got to go on to where the pros play, the NBA. And uh, start with the big news that came out. Steph Curry, Marcus Smart, loose ball situation. Which side are you on? Are you Marcus Smart was should have known better? Or that's a loose ball. I am the third furthest away from it because both Clay and Steph were closer to the ball. And I'm diving for that. I'm, I'm on Marcus Smart's team. I'll tell you why. Because even though Clay and Steph are closer, you're not on Clay and Steph's team. That's a problem for me if you're closer. That's the whole mm -hmm. reason I'm diving. If I'm the closest one to the ball, I probably don't have to dive to get it. I probably just pick it up, right? Which is, I, I think, what Steph was trying to do. He was trying to pick it up because he was the closest one. And then Marcus Smart came and he dove, and uh, I think he even got the ball. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, no, he got the ball. It, you he know, he threw the ball. 
kudos to him. I I think it's more than I think it's more just an unfortunate play than it is like some dirty type play. Uh, you know, but by Marcus Smart, I can understand why Golden State would be upset about it because is it totally necessary? Probably not. But at the same time, you know, you're playing a basketball game and the ball's on the floor. Marcus Smart's trying to get the ball for his team. Uh, it's the end of the year. Guys are a little more hope, like hyped up and focused with the playoffs right around the corner. They're trying to get, you know, not just in like basketball physical shape, but like basketball mental shape, too. Right. Like the Celtics have been playing great for a while and they're trying to keep that going, going into the playoffs so they can finally made a run that, you know, they never really made. They went to, I guess, game seven of the Eastern finals, but they lost to the the Cleveland, uh, one of the LeBron Cleveland teams. Um, but that was, you know, like years ago. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I, like I'm team Marcus Smart on on this play. I think a lot of these times, you know, it can go either way. But I think Smart was just diving for the ball, and it was, you know, an unfortunate happenstance what happened to Steph. And this is how Marcus Smart has stayed in the NBA also. Look, he's not a phenomenal shooter. He's a very good defender, but he hustles. That's what he does. A la Dennis Rodman, that's how Dennis Rodman made his money, on defense and hustling for balls all the time. And that's what Marcus Smart did. I – I think what made this a bigger situation outside of the fact that it's Steph and it's a two-time MVP is that Steve Kerr actually pulls Marcus Smart aside to tell him, you can't do that. That's a dangerous play. If Steve Kerr doesn't make a bigger deal out of it, I don't know if it becomes a bigger deal in the media because, I mean, the news out right now on Steph is that it's a sprained foot ligament. X-rays are negative, no fracture, no major damage. He's out indefinitely, but they're saying that indefinitely means the rest of the regular season and he should be okay for the playoffs hopefully but if Steve Kerr doesn't pull Marcus Smart aside and look Steve Kerr's a former player so he's absolutely you know knows these situations been in these situations and he's not going to shy away from talking to players so to me if he doesn't do that I don't think this gets as much attention outside of just one of the best players in the NBA got hurt in a game hopefully he's coming back you know by the playoffs yeah, I think uh, Steve. You know, Steve Kerr's just protecting his guy. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't know that what Steve Kerr des- you know necessarily means it was any dirtier or less dirty than what it was. And For me, what was um, worse was what he did to Clay, like right afterwards. He's going like, to um, Clay in the jet. <laughs> like that's worse to me than diving for the loose ball. And I know, you know, like that. You know, X rays came back negative, and I wonder, like, even as far as the injury goes. Like, how severe is it? Like, is Golden State saying he's out indefinitely because they know they're in the playoffs anyway and they're just trying to get him, like, ready for it? If this was a playoff series, how, you know, how serious would it be? Would Steph be able to play the next game? Would he still have to miss a game? Would he be out, like, the entire playoff series? So, I I don't know. I just think there's a lot that we don't know about the injury and probably aren't going to know. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if Golden State plays it safe and rest Steph until they at least see like who their round one, uh, you know, opponent is. I mean, so, you know, I want to look up real quick because, you know, the, the, the Warriors have, you know, they're, they were at one point the best team in the West, you know, and then the Suns absolutely took that over. Uh, you know, are they in a position where they can, you know, they can rest Steph, not be too concerned with how much they drop in the standings. If, you know, if they have to rest them the rest of the way. So right now they are the three seed, uh, game behind Memphis, three and a half games up on Utah for that four seed. So 
you kind of want to stay in that three spot because you know you you don't want to be that four five. Hang on, I'm actually I'm thinking off old NBA playoff rules. I don't even know anymore. Does the four five still play the one? Yeah. <laughs> play the second round? Yeah. That up? No, the playing games only affect uh who plays the one through like the seven and the ten. Okay, so you avoid the four or five spot, you avoid the one in the second round as the you know the, the two three spot, you know, much better position for you for that second round. The Warriors, do they have enough offense without Steph? to hold that three spot and, you know, keep the Utah Jazz at bay? Uh, three and a half games is kind of a lot. I've, I think they'll be able to, you know, they did just get Draymond back, which is mm-hmm. a boost. Uh, although I know he's on a minutes restriction, at least his first game. So he's probably still being eased back into it a little bit. Uh, but Clay has gotten hotter recently than he was, you know, when he first started playing, trying to shake some of the rust off. They have, you know, Jordan Poole who can be a, a source of offense for them as well. So I think they'll be able to keep in that three spot. I think three and a half games is a, a pretty big cushion, you know, for Golden State. Um, and I just think – I think they'll be able to stay there. I don't know if somebody will be, like, gunning for them now, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. will the five seed want to drop down to six so they can get maybe a hobbled Golden State instead of playing Utah or something? I mean- or is a seven seed going to make like an extra push so that they can face the Warriors instead of the, uh, you know, like the Grizzlies who, you know, it'd be sitting there right now. I mean, look, and I'm not going to take anything away from how important Steph Curry is to the Golden State Warriors, but even without Steph Curry, you've got Clay Thompson, you've got Andrew Wiggins, you've got young cats that have made a pretty big impact so far this year, Jonathan Kaminga. Uh, you like you said, you just got Draymond back, who's the heart and soul of that team, and really kind of makes that engine go. Uh, this team, I think, has enough offensive weapons without Steph to, like you said, I think they're going to hold their spot and uh, be ready to go. Hopefully, when Steph comes back for the playoffs, because look, I'm not a Golden State Warrior fan, but I really do enjoy the way they play basketball. Steph is definitely one of my favorite players to watch play. Uh, obviously, big Draymond Green fan. Love the guys that do the the hustle plays and you know and, and don't really light up the scoreboard as far as the, the points are concerned, but they're getting you po- they're getting you rebounds, they're getting you steals, they're getting you assists, they're playing defense. Love guys like that. Always have maybe that's the bad boy in me growing up, <laughs> getting used to that, watching that t- kind of team. But I think the Warriors have enough weapons to uh, to hold off whoever's coming after them until Steph gets back. Uh, AJ and I talked about this on straight shooting. You and I haven't had a chance to talk about this. The ridiculous month of March that has been the (laughs) NBA when it comes to people dropping 50 or 60 points. Uh, Have you ever, I I can't, outside of one player, I remember Kobe had a ridiculous like stretch by himself, but that was a different situation. This is LeBron, KD, Kyrie, Kat. Who am I missing? Uh, Tatum. Tatum. Thank you. Like you've got, Seven different games now where it's been at least 50 points, if not 60 points. And the other crazy stats of like back-to-back games for one team where KD had 60 when Kyrie couldn't play because it was in New York. And then Kyrie followed it up the game back on the road with 60 of his own. And I saw the most ridiculous of those stats. That's the first time that's happened on the same team since Wilt did it by himself. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Of course, right? Uh, <laughs> so stupid. 
um, yeah, I think uh, I think it's kind of what we touched on a little bit earlier. Is teams are you know they're dialed into the playoffs. These uh, you know these superstars, right? Because these are not that you very get very many non-superstar fifty and sixty-point games, mm-hmm. but you know these are guys whose teams they 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 want to go far in the championship, right? Like the the Lakers, they certainly don't look like a contender, but they haven't had Anthony Davis and LeBron has been a contender essentially like his whole, his whole career almost. Uh, you know you have the Excuse me. You have the Nets, who even though they're a seven seed, they just got Kyrie back, right? They might get Ben Simmons back a couple of days before the playoffs. So Kyrie and KD are now re- really turning it up. Mm-hmm. Um, even Minnesota, I think they're they're still in the playoff hunt. Yeah, they're definitely in the playoff hunt. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, they're the seven seed right now. 60. So and you no know, Tatum too. We just talked about the Celtics, and they've been playing really well for. A minute it's it's just that time where i think nba ramps up you know there's a lot of uh a lot of talk when nba comes around that okay hey like the games don't count until christmas uh you know a lot of those early season nba matchups the ratings are are pretty low because people just figure it doesn't matter i can catch it when when these teams start to care a little bit well now the teams are starting to care a little bit right we passed christmas we're basically almost at easter and these teams are are trying to get ready they're trying to show uh, what they can do, and I think you just have a lot more of the guys dialed in into like their peak basketball playing mode. Oh, well, I mean, you you brought him up, so I got to at least talk about it a little bit. A team that is definitely not in peak playing mode is LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, I mean, just getting embarrassed by the Phoenix Suns, and then you know they they fought to come back against the Toronto Raptors, but they were down, what, 35 points, something stupid like that to Toronto. And then falling to those Timberwolves again as well by 20 plus points. Uh, Is this, now look, the end of Kobe's run with the Lakers was bad. Okay. But I don't remember it being this ugly where they were just getting absolutely embarrassed on the court nonstop towards the end of where you're supposed to be doing a playoff run. This is LeBron. LeBron doesn't do this. LeBron drags his teams kicking and screaming because he has to, because outside of two all-stars, he's got a bunch of bums besides that. And the Lakers don't have that this year. You got a whole bunch of names, a whole bunch of used to be all-stars, but it ain't meshing. It ain't working. And the Lakers are holding on for dear life for one of those playing game spots. But there can't, there's no confidence for this team to do anything when the playoffs roll around. I don't care. Do you really think AD coming back is going to make a difference? I mean, yeah. Like, how could it not? It's Anthony Davis. They were up 2-0 on the Suns last year, and then he got hurt. That was a different the, team. But they were all, there was, it was also still Russo, a, was a You had role players that knew their roles and would play their roles. Here you've got former stars that don't know their roles. But last year they were still a playing team. They're the seven. I think they're the seven seed, and they beat Golden State um, to like get into the get into the playoffs. Um, so I mean, it was you know, it's not like again they were a two seed or a one seed or something last year. I just think Anthony Davis makes the entire team different. Uh, LeBron's playing the best he's played this year. Now, uh, you know, the surprise, surprise, he's trying to turn it up at the end. Uh, Westbrook games in a week. <laughs> yeah, no, Westbrook is certainly in an, an enigma and a problem that they didn't have last year. But I don't know, man. I think you still get LeBron James and Anthony Davis on a team, and you put them up against a team like Memphis in the first round. 
I think I'd probably take the Lakers in in that series, even though Memphis has played better all year. Memphis just doesn't Memphis doesn't have that experience. I know they were a playing team last year. I think they're the eight seed, um, and they got to face the the Jazz in the first round. But they, uh, I don't know, they just don't. To me, they you know they don't have that experience that the Lakers have. And I think trying to go against LeBron James and Anthony Davis together in seven games uh, is going to be difficult. Now, there's no guarantee that. Le- LeBron James and Anthony Davis play all seven games, right? And then you're looking at a really bad team. But if if the Lakers are healthy, I don't think, you know, anybody wants to play them. I don't think the one seed or the two seed is going to be like, oh, great. We just mm-hmm. drew LeBron and Anthony Davis. <laughs> so I'm glad you brought up healthy because I got to ask you, is it worth the headache? Is AD worth the headache of how often he gets injured? Look, he's great when he's on the floor for the most part. But this man can't stay healthy. And the Lakers are already talking. Well, sorry, I'm not saying the Lakers are. But other media pundits, those that have played basketball or those that just talk about basketball, a lot of them have said, you just got to let these guys go now because AD can't stay healthy and LeBron is a terrible GM. I think he's worth it if you're a team like the Lakers or, uh, you know, say like the Warriors or something, where if you have AD – you're probably one of the title favorites. Now, if you're the Pistons and you're trying to build something, no, I, I don't want Anthony Davis on this you know, current iteration of the Pistons. But you know, I think if you're a contending team, you're going to take Anthony Davis, you know, anytime you can get, and you're just pray that he's healthy for those, you know, probably 30 playoff games that you need him. Probably a little more, 30, 40. But. All right, we are winding down, but we got to get to our NBA Twitter moment of the week. Uh, It's kind of a combo of moments within the same game. Uh, If you haven't seen it, uh, Westbrook throws up an air ball that, look, from the right angle, it looks really, really bad. From the other angles, he just misses the back room. But Carl Anthony Towns (laughs) catches the ball, passes it off to start the fast break, but just stands there looking around like, what? (laughs) I mean, Talk about just straight clowning a MVP, a triple-double getter for three straight years for for the entire season, essentially, and just clowns this man and literally stops playing basketball to clown this man in the middle of a game. Yeah, and uh, set off the rivalry that you kind of Russell already had uh, with the Timberwolves. Of course, him and Patrick Beverly don't like each other uh, at all, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and... Uh, Russell Westbrook is one of those guys who, when when their uh, you know when their time for their downfall comes, I think other players relish in it because Russell Westbrook has talked trash for so many years, right? Russell mm-hmm. Westbrook is one of these no friends in the NBA type guys, and if you're gonna sit here and play like you played all year and have just like these low light reels of air balls and shots that are hitting the top of the backboard in like the most comical yakety sacks faction like there's <laughs> like you you have to expect uh you know the the hate to come to come your way and it certainly has for russell westbrook and he probably doesn't handle it the best all the time but i mean this is a guy who will still talk trash when the team's losing like if he's mm-hmm. getting his numbers he'll tell you i'm busting your ass if he has you know 28 and 10 and 13 and his team is down by by 15 points with four <laughs> minutes left like it's it's just the guy is it's just the the way that he's wired, 
And no, I think Carl Anthony Towns just took a minute to uh, acknowledge the air ball that everybody in the in the arena saw, um, and you know, point out the audacity that Russell Westbrook has of shooting that shot. So that was his way of basically getting Patrick Beverly's back. Yep, because even after the game, Russell Westbrook said, "You know, I don't care about any of the the trash that the Timberwolves talk because none of their guys on their team have ever done anything." And then Patrick Beverly responded on Twitter uh, saying he went to two straight Western Conference Finals and he's been uh, all defense or something like that. And so claims the, that Russell, the, beef still, the beef's still hot. And basically claims that Russell Westbrook has tried to ruin Beverly's career with his talk about Beverly fooling everybody into thinking that yeah. he plays defense when he actually doesn't play defense. Well, Beverly actively tried to ruin Russell Westbrook's career, so that part's fair. I don't, <laughs> I don't need to blame Russ, but... All right, that's going to do it for tonight. Don't forget, please like, subscribe everywhere you can find us, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, full episodes on YouTube. We'll be back next week. Going to recap what we missed over this weekend. Probably some crazy upsets. Hopefully our Spartans aren't one of them for the first round. Hopefully our Spartans are one of them for the second round if Izzo and Krzyzewski get to meet one last time and Izzo can go 3-0 and and send Krzyzewski literally to retirement. That would be amazing. For Ryan Griffin, I'm Matt Basson. We're throwing stones. Thank you for spending time with us. We'll see you all again real soon. Yep. New Mexico State just beat UConn. Hey. There you go. Ended on upset. <laughs>